Let me say a prayer for myself. Father, thank you for this chance to be together in the body of Christ, to give attention to you, to your great goodness, the surpassing riches of your grace in kindness toward us in Christ. Lord, it's astonishing this great salvation that you have provided to us. Help us to see it a little more clearly this morning. And so become a little more devoted ourselves to worship you, not just with a little bit of singing on a Sunday morning, but with our very lives every day of the week. Lord, we want to become reflections of your nature, of your love, of your care and generosity in this world. We thank you for that privilege in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is Palm Sunday, and uh, Palm Sunday is, as you no doubt know, a commemoration of an event we call the Triumphal Entry. The day the Lord Jesus, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, arrived in Jerusalem to save us. That day in which people shouted as he came into the city, Save us! <laughs> That's the meaning of the word Hosanna. Lord, save us. Now, that was on Sunday. And on Friday, they were shouting again. Crucify him. What they didn't know was that when they shouted, save us, and when they shouted, crucify him, they were really shouting for the same thing. It's an amazing thing. We read the text from Psalm 118 that they were quoting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the Son of David, the King of Israel. It's a very Jewish thing, what they were shouting that day. In fact, I'm guessing those who were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. When they said, save us, they had a very particular us in mind. Because they thought the Messiah was the vindicator of Israel. 
they thought of the Messiah as the Jewish Messiah. And of course, he certainly is. But God had something much greater in mind. And that is what we come to read about in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Let me just read it for you. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly formerly <laughs> far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. One new man. And so on that day when those Israelites were shouting, save us, save us, and they really meant save Israel, we don't care about the rest of the world, that was not what God had in mind. He was making something bigger, something grander, something more amazing. He was, in fact, by the work of His cross, creating the church. One people of God, without distinction of race or ethnic origin or any other distinction. You know, we human beings are really good at, well, dividing ourselves. We're good at dividing. Our, most of our politics these days are based on some artificial division of human beings, one way or another. And I read one time, uh, if, if suddenly one day we woke up and all our skin was the same color. 
If everybody had exactly the same skin tone, you, we'd by 10 o'clock in the morning, we'd figure out something else to hate each other over. And in fact, the fact that we can hate each other over our skin color is proof of that fact. Because what a ridiculous division that is. It's just a thing we can see. And when we can see a difference, we make a difference. And we divide and divide and divide, and we do not realize that division is the source of alienation. Well, and we also don't realize that alienation is the source of all of our division. He is our peace. He makes us one in Him by the work of His cross. This, uh, this text is the second part of how He made the church. How He made the one new man in Himself. The first part, we were dead and He made us alive together. That was the first part. By grace you've been saved. And so you are now the people who have been saved. <laughs> by His grace. Received by simple faith. So you were dead. He made us alive. So you are saved. And now He's going to talk about the second way of talking about how he made us the one new man. And that is uh, a thing for us, a former condition that we should remember, and then God's intervention and the result of that intervention. So before, the first round was our condition was we were dead. The intervention was he made us alive together with Christ, and the result is you have been saved by His grace. Here, we are going to see that our condition was a condition of alienation, and there was an intervention. We were brought near, and the result is we are reconciled. We have access to God. You know, from time to time, I'll say something like this. The fact that you can pray is a bigger deal than any Thing you might pray about. Oh, we all have our troubles that we bring to the Lord. We cry out to God, help me with this or that or the other thing. Some of those are big, some of those are tiny, but they look big to me. And I cry out to the Lord and I am invited by God to cry out to Him with any trivial trouble I might have or any great trouble I might have, whatever is on my mind, I, invited, I am invited into the very presence of God and He welcomes a discussion with me. And that fact is a bigger deal than whatever it is I'm bringing that I can bring it to Him. 
is more important than the thing I bring. I have access. We have access. We are reconciled to the living God so that we can enjoy uninhibited fellowship with Him in Christ. There is no barrier, no screen, no curtain, no wall between us and the Father Almighty God in Christ. So here in the first round, we noticed that we were dead and that we were made alive and that as a consequence, well, we are alive and we are saved. In the second instance of God making the body of Christ, the one new man, we were alienated and he brought us near and so we are now reconciled with access together in one spirit. Well, we'll come back to that. So in each case, there was a condition, there was an intervention, and there was a result. So he says, remember your foreign condition. Your, it's not foreign, former. <laughs> your former condition was that you were foreign. If you're a Gentile, says, and so obviously Paul has Gentiles in mind when he writes this letter. He says to the Gentile people, he says, remember your former condition, how you used to be, Gentiles uncircumcised. Circumcision is the sign of the covenant of God's people. If you were born a man into a Jewish family, you were circumcised, and this meant you are in the covenant people of God. When you're born. And if you're a Gentile, you're not. So he says, you were without Christ. That's an interesting expression, because He's talking about the condition of Gentiles before Christ came on the scene. Which tells you something. The Jewish people were not without Christ even before Christ was born. They had Christ. The sacrifice of Christ was applied to them. Even though Jesus was yet to be born. In anticipation, all those sacrifices of the Old Testament law anticipate the sacrifice of all sacrifices, the sacrifice of Jesus, the Christ, Messiah. And so, in promise, the people of Israel had Messiah. And they trusted that, and because of that trust... They were saved. But Gentiles, not so much. Not at all, for the most part. In fact, in those days, if a Gentile was to have Messiah, that Gentile would have to stop being a Gentile. And there was a way that a Gentile could join the nation of Israel. And then following that, 
their children would be Jews. That didn't really happen very often. Almost never. And so the condition of Gentiles before Christ was without Christ. And then he says they were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. They were aliens, not citizens. Israel is a nation constituted under the law of Moses by God Himself. And if you're a Gentile, you are out, not in. You are a foreigner, not a citizen. And in case we were still wondering, he says strangers, that mean, that's literally the word for foreigner. Foreigners to the covenants of promise. You see, the covenants of the Old Testament were all covenants of promise. He make, God makes a covenant with Abraham and he says, I will make you a nation and in that nation I will bless all the nations. And to Moses, he gives the law in promise of the coming kingdom. And in David, he gives the anointing of Messiah. The, David serves as the king, the prototypical brother king of Israel who is a foreshadow of the promised one. And through all the prophets, again and again, God says, I will show up in person. Then the Messiah is given in promise. None of this is addressed to Gentiles. Except that in the law, there is a provision for the nation to be a kingdom of priests which is never realized before Jesus comes. And so he says, you're Gentiles, you're without Christ, you're excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, you're strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. I, this is depressing. No hope without God in the world. There was no reason for a Gentile to hope in God. There was no reason for a Gentile to even believe that the God of Israel was the God, the only true living God. He's the God of Israel. He's not our God. And the key expression here is without God. You see, this is the human condition since the day Adam and Eve bit the fruit. They said to each other and to God and to themselves, we will go without God. 
we instead of trusting what God has said, we will trust our own judgment. And this looks like good food. So their judgment was literally insane. And so ever since, human beings are born in a condition without God. And God intervenes. God could have just left us alone. But no, he shows up. He shows up to Abraham. So first he shows up to Noah. Then he shows up to Abraham, and he makes Abraham some promises. And then he shows up in the life of the nation that came from Abraham. And he gives the law of Moses. And so the promise is made. And the promise is the promise of Christ. And until Christ arrives, as far as we know, that promise is made to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Israel. But now, he says, Paul, the most Jewish of all Jews, I suppose, in his day, says, but now, God has intervened. This was your condition, Gentiles, but now God has done something. And you who were far away have been brought near. <laughs> you have been brought near. Here we are in the assembly of God's people standing before our God singing our praise to God with every real expectation that He is attentive to our worship. We have drawn near. And the book of Hebrews, as we read, invites us to draw near to the throne of grace. How did he do that? Well, the expression here is by the blood of Christ. That's how. But he gives some more details. By the blood of Christ, he says. And then he says, He himself is our peace. He is peace between the Jewish nation, and all nations in the people of God. There was hostility, and now there's peace. There was foreigner, whatever a non-foreigner is, citizen. Now there's unity. He is our peace who made the two one. How do you do that? Well, there's a few things. First of all, he's broken down the dividing wall. Apparently there's a dividing wall between the Jewish people and Gentiles. A hostility. An enmity was the word in our translation. Uh, we were not friends. 
And what was the dividing wall? Well, he tells us it's the law of commandments in ordinances. It's the law of Moses. Because the law of Moses constituted the nation of Israel as a nation, as an ethnic group that was the people of God, the nation of God. And so separated them from all nations. And of course, it was a great sin for the nation of Israel to marry people who were not Israelites. There's even one moment in the history of Israel where they had done that, and God makes them divorce their foreign spouses. The God who hates divorce. There's, uh, in the book of Judges, they go through this cycle where they take foreign wives, and that then God brings the foreign armies. They were supposed to remain ethnically pure. Wow, that's an expression we don't like. There's hostility. Even in the time of Jesus, Jewish people simply did not associate with Gentiles. It was really, really irritating and annoying that the Roman government was even present in the land, let alone ruling. So they had an expectation of a Messiah that would get rid of that problem. He himself is our peace. He broke down this dividing wall, the law of Moses. How did he do that? Well, he rendered, this says, he rendered the law inoperative. That's what this expression, uh, sorry, let me find it here. Abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments in ordinance. Abolishing. That word abolishing really means he rendered it inoperative. And in effect, as a nation of Israel, he rendered it unnecessary. The law in commandments and ordinances. Now we could say, well, but the law, that, that's, that includes like the Ten Commandments. That includes love the Lord your God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. Surely he didn't remove those rules. No, the law is the law. But there's no system of sacrifices. There's no priesthood. There's no temple. Because the law no longer operates as the law of the nation of Israel. How did he do that? Well, here's what Jesus said. I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. And that is exactly how he did it. In Christ, in the man Jesus, there was perfect obedience 
to the law of Moses every moment of every day from the day he was born to the day he died. No law-breaking. Not one single infraction. We have a hard time even imagining that. The law says, thou shalt not covet. This means Jesus never wanted anything that didn't belong to him. (laughs) I can't even think of how a person would begin to do that. But Jesus obeyed the law with perfect righteousness at all times. And here's the thing. He obeyed his perfect fulfillment of the law was his whole life and also in his death. He was obeying the law. Because the law says, love your neighbor as yourself. And the most important and by far the largest demonstration of love your neighbor as yourself is the death of Christ. He was obedient, Philippians says, even to the point of death. Even the death of the cross. So, He renders the law inoperative by absolutely satisfying every requirement of the law on our behalf. As a human being, he does these things. So, there's no longer any necessary distinction between a Jew in relation to God, and a Gentile in relation to God. There's no need for any determination. When people come to God, He doesn't say, well, are you a Jew or a Gentile? doesn't matter. Are you in Christ? That's all that matters. Are you in Christ? And so Gentiles now have access to God in Christ by the work of His cross. And so it says here, from the two, He creates in Himself one new man. He creates in Himself one new man, thus making peace. Now, I just want to point out to you that we've had some creating and making before in Ephesians chapter 2. In verse 10. In verse 10 he said, for we are His workmen, His making. Same word. His made thing. Created in Christ. So already in Ephesians 2 he said, we, all of us together, are His One workmanship, his thing made. And we were, how did he make us? He created us in Christ. And so here again he says, from the two he creates in himself one new man, thus making peace. 
So we got creating and making going on all over the place here. One new man, not a bunch of new men. And then, he says, he reconciles both in one body to God. Now, here's what I think most of the time. And here's what we say in church most of the time. That Christ imputes his righteousness to you and you and you based on your faith, by his grace. He imputes, he, he credits you with the righteousness of Christ. By faith, Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. We call that imputation. And so we say that uh, for each of us, the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to us. To me, you, each one individually. And that's certainly true. But this is another thing here in Ephesians. Because here, the righteousness, the rendering of the law inoperative, as in no longer necessary, as in written on our hearts, as in we're all redeemed in one new body, this righteousness imputed is to the church. He reconciles both in one to God. In fact, in this particular text, our reconciliation with one another precedes our reconciliation to God when Jesus is going about making peace, being our peace. He's our peace, and having been our peace, He's our peace with God. He's our peace between us, and because now we're one new man in Him, He makes us acceptable before God. As one, as one new man. So these things are not just individual. Your salvation is not just your salvation. It's also mine. It's ours. And it all was made by the blood of His cross. Jesus accomplished the assembly of the church all at once when He redeemed us by the blood of His cross. He reconciles us both in one body to God. This is the mystery of the book of Ephesians that has now been shown. The thing we, in the old days, couldn't see. Us Gentiles, we couldn't see any promise of connection to God. And the Jews couldn't see one for us. Nobody saw this coming. But now it's been revealed in, in the next chapter, in verse 6, he says, <clears throat> well, I'm going to read with verse 5. Okay, I'm going to read with verse 4. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit, 
To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is good news to the world. And God is doing exactly what he told Abraham he would do. Really, what he told the devil he would do in the garden when he said, he will bruise your head. He'll bruise his heel. He'll bruise your head. When he first announced the gospel to Adam and Eve and to the devil, (laughs) which he repeated when he promised to Abraham, I'll turn you into a nation, you man and wife who cannot even bear a child because you're so old and you never have been able to and you still can't, but I will do it. And I will make a nation out of you from nothing. And I will make that nation a blessing to the world. How? In Christ, who is our peace. Who is our peace with one another first, and then our peace with God Almighty. By the blood of His cross, He is our peace. He made the two one. He makes us one. This is why it's so good to have a fellowship group. This is why it's so good to be in the international church. (laughs) Not all churches are so international. We get the extra blessing of seeing with our very eyes a little bit of it. Because the whole thing is from every tongue and tribe and nation. So he says, he came and preached peace to you who are far away and to those who are near. He doesn't say, Gentile, you have to become a Jew anymore. And he doesn't turn Jews into Gentiles or Gentiles into Jews who are just all people. Now, those who are far away and those who are near, Through him, he says, we both have access. And that is a present tense verb. We have access. In one spirit to the Father. In one spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells each of us, but he is not a billion spirits. He is one. He is one spirit. And he not only indwells me and you and him and her, he not only indwells each of us, he indwells us, us. The body of Christ, the church, the fullness of him, we read in chapter 1. How, how are we, the body of Christ, the fullness of him who fills? Well, because the Spirit occupies us, and by one Spirit, we come before God. We have no standing before God apart from the sacrifice of Christ and the service of the Spirit. 
And so we come because we have been born again of the Spirit, and we have trusted in Christ, and by faith we have been saved. And so we are born again, <laughs> and so we are the people who can talk to God. We are the people who can pick any room in the whole wide world and get together with God. And Jesus can say about us, wherever two or three of you get together, there I am in the midst of you. One spirit with access to the one true and living God. This is huge. That's partly why our title is, our, our, our subtitle is, Church is a Bigger Deal Than You Think. And when I say church is a bigger deal than you think, it's not a way of saying, hey, go to church, you. No, it's not about that. It's not about what you do. It's about what he has done. And what he has done has assembled us into a single body, one new man, one Christian that really counts, one representation of his nature, one image-bearing individual that is all of us together. Through Him, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. The, now, I'm, not, I'm also not telling you stop coming to church because that would be insane if this is true. Because wh who we are when we're together is, is something that matters. And the church is intended to meet in person, to be real persons in fellowship with other real persons. And in fellowship with the living God. So that we become expressions of His love and our best opportunity is what's happening here in this room this morning. Or what's happening when we get together for dinner like I did with another member of the church just yesterday? What's happening in the loving fellowship of our community? What's happening in the way we take care of each other and take care of the other people around us and exhibit this union that we have in Christ? This thing that He made when He died for us. So the body of Christ, the one new man, is made in two ways. Resurrection and reconciliation. He made us alive when we were dead, and when we were far away, He brought us near. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. Hosanna in the highest. And we want to go out there in the world and find all those people that should be here. Save us, Lord. Save us. He has. We have been saved. We are reconciled. We have been brought near. And many more of us than they thought when they first shouted, Hosanna. Many more. Father, we give you thanks for your goodness to us in Christ. Lord, we trust ourselves to you. That is our service of worship, Lord. We just cast ourselves to you. Here we are, Lord. 
We belong to you. To no other. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.